You're going to love this. Just love it. Oh, yes, you will. I do. Scared. No one's scared. Not even Edward Snowden. Apparently. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you. Finally, live right here in Los Angeles on 90.7 FM. In L.A. on KPFK, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher radio app, on the TuneIn radio app. All on your smartphones, and of course, on the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. This is your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Joining you once again live here in studio. Delighted you can join us this afternoon. We have been away uh, for a few weeks during the KPFK Pacifica Radio Fun Drive. Thank you to all of you who supported it, who uh, supported us, who are helping to keep us on your public airwaves, your unfiltered public airwaves, your uncorporate sponsored public airwaves. Glad to be back, however, live and glad you could join us this afternoon. Got a big, big show for you. Yeah, I go away for a few weeks and all hell breaks loose in the national security arena. We got a lot to talk about today, given the uh, the events of the past week. We've got a huge guest to talk to about it. You're going to want to stick around for that momentarily. We're also going to be talking with uh, Desi Doyen and catching up with some of the green news you have missed over the past few weeks while we have, uh, while we've been on uh, fun drive here. So looking forward to all of that, but let me get to, uh, right to our guest. Oh, you can, uh, I should say, you can, uh, tweet me during the show at the Brad blog. We'll see if we have time to take some calls a little bit later. Uh, and uh, as usual, you can find me as well at bradblog.com. Okay. In 1975, Senator Frank Church spoke of the National Security Agency in these terms, the NSA. He said, quote, I know the capacity that is there to make tyranny total in America, and we must see to it that this agency and all agencies that possess this technology operate within the law and under proper supervision, so that we never cross that abyss. That is the abyss, said Senator Frank Church, from which there is no return. Uh, is that the case? We're going to find out momentarily from my guest, Dan Ellsberg. The Guardian asserted uh, last week, actually over the weekend, in uh, Glenn, Gar- Glenn Greenwald's article, uh, in which Edward Snowden, the former NSA contractor, was outed as the uh, as the leaker, the whistleblower of these uh, 
NSA documents we've been seeing over the past week. The Guardian asserted that former NSA contractor Edward Snowden, quote, will go down in history as one of America's most consequential whistleblowers alongside Daniel Ellsberg and Bradley Manning. So, of course, it seems like a good time to talk with Daniel Ellsberg about all of this. We can't really talk with Bradley Manning, unfortunately. He's in a military brig facing his trial. But Dan Ellsberg is a former military analyst who brought the nation to a virtual standstill in 1971 when he released thousands of pages of top-secret documents to the New York Times and others concerning U.S. government involvement and decisions uh, made leading up to the Vietnam War, showing essentially that the Johnson administration had lied us into that war. Those documents became known as the Pentagon Papers, and their publication by the New York Times was challenged by the Nixon administration all the way up to the Supreme Court. Ellsberg was then personally targeted by the Nixon administration, who, as part of the Watergate scandal, attempted to break in and steal medical and psychiatric documents on Ellsberg, a point which is also interesting in light of the fallout from uh, both the WikiLeaks, the Julian Assange, the Bradley Manning cases, and now the Edward Snowden NSA contractor leaks. Dan Ellsberg is also the subject of a 2009 Emmy-nominated documentary, The Most Dangerous Man in America. You can get more on that at mostdangerousman.org. He also tweets at Daniel Ellsberg, and his website is ellsberg.net. I'm also proud to say that uh, Dan Ellsberg has even guest-blogged at bradblog.com over the years. Daniel Ellsberg, welcome, sir, back to the broadcast. Thank you. Glad to be here, Brad. Delighted to have you here any time, certainly, but especially now. Uh, there's a lot that I want to get into with you on this uh, on this case, Dan, um, and the specifics of it and your thoughts on it. But it seems to me, and, and I will in a moment, but it seems to me that right now you are one of very few people in this uh, in this country, perhaps in this world, who can actually give us some sense of what it must be like. What What is it right now? That Edward Snowden is going through. What is what is in his uh, in his mind? What's he dealing with in his life? From your perspective, given the background you have, <clears throat> given that you had an entire administration and country arguably out against you back in the seventies after releasing the Pentagon Papers. Well, I'd hardly presume to uh, to guess very strongly what's in the mind of a man that I haven't met, and yet what I've learned enough about him. Uh, right now is uh, to make me admire him very much and respect him and thank him for what he's done. Uh, I do make a point of trying to meet whistleblowers mm-hmm. and have met quite a few of them, uh, in part because one thing that I know that they're, uh, they share in common is that they've lost a lot of friends and colleagues very suddenly. And, and I have the bad news for them. They'll probably never get those back or most of them. So they need new friends, and they, they do find new friends, and I'm happy to be one of those. Also, I usually find that we have a lot in common, even if our lives have been very different, uh, that brought us to this position. We all did come to a position where the choice was to continue uh, being silent about something that we thought threatened human lives, or in Snowden's case, I think in particular threatened the Constitution, the, the nature of this, this government. In a, in a very bad way, and whether we were willing to continue that and continue our careers, which might be very comfortable in, in his case and mine, much more than Bradley Manning's, for example, uh, or 
do something to inform the public that would undoubtedly confront us with uh, possible life in prison. Uh, a lot of leakers, to use that term, whistleblowers uh, remain anonymous, and I, I respect that decision because uh, if you can get the information out, and especially documents out, uh, without having to face this challenge of uh, prospect of either a trial or possibly uh, being eliminated, uh, all the better uh, for most people. But when you do reveal yourself, as Bradley has now done in his court case, uh, Bradley Manning, we're talking about, Manning, right? Uh, did I say Bradley? The other Bradley. Or, or that's okay. No, no, I just uh, yes, separating uh, that from Ed you Snowden. A, yes. You have a, a good name there. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, newly, newly honorific name. And <laughs> Snowden has done, of course, and I did when, when I was arrested, took full responsibility for what we've done. That's unusual, and I think the motives are the same uh, to some degree in each case. Uh, each of us wanted to relieve other people who would be suspected and harassed or uh, prosecuted or whatever to the extent we could. You can't uh, just by our saying that we did it on our own and uh, the other people are not responsible, of course, doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't prove the case, uh, surely, but it does, in fact, uh, relieve, I think, the others from uh, much more that they would have. Manning, for example, made a point of saying that he was not uh, aided or uh, unduly, or in, not influenced, not mm -hmm. persuaded to give his information out by WikiLeaks, that surely does have relevance to the proceedings of the grand jury in Virginia that's dealing with that case. Snowden, too, said that he wanted to relieve his colleagues. I certainly did. I knew that various people who had access to the Pentagon Papers would be suspected, uh, like Les Gelb and Mort Halpern, Paul Warnke, and possibly either others, and I wanted to say they didn't know anything about it, uh, confirm what they were undoubtedly saying themselves to the FBI and uh, do what I could there. Also, uh, once you've revealed yourself like this, you're able to explain what you've done and why why you did it, uh, what the motives were, and... Uh, uh, and is that is that your sense of why he? Because I was actually I was on a, a, a RT America yesterday, and during an interview, someone asked me why did he uh, reveal himself now? Why did he not uh, stay in secret? What, do you have a sense of of why he decided to do yes, that? Yes, I do. Actually, I have. <laughs> it's interesting. I was a little puzzled uh, at first as to first of all, let me ask answer the question uh, implicit in that: uh, why is he not in the country? And I think the current climate is such that if he were in the country, you, we would have no more chance to hear from him than you or I or anybody has had from Bradley Manning. Mm -hmm. but he'd be in jail. He might be in the same cell in Quantico uh, at best as uh, Bradley Manning was for ten and a half months in isolation. Or he might be in Guantanamo. Uh, that was my sense as well. That, that he would not be out on bond as I was 40 years ago. I was able to speak very freely in this country out on bond during my trial. And to, uh, to speak not so much about my case as to the war, and uh, to put my message out about the nature of the war and why why it should be ended. So he uh, Snowden now, from where he is, and he's given more than one interview, has really been able to say uh, how dangerous he believes this practice of total data gathering that's going on in the American people. How dangerous that is. He's able to say it in a way he couldn't do in this country. Uh, why he chose Hong Kong, I couldn't judge too much. He says that, uh, he said today, I just noticed that um, in a story that he 
he was ready to uh, be trust Hong Kong justice on this point. They have free, uh, uh, they have a relatively free press. He felt he'd get a reasonable deal, but he had to be out of this country. Certainly, uh, I think he 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 would have been very mistaken to go to mainland China with its right. uh, authoritarian system. Uh, I noticed that Russia has offered him asylum. Again, that would be just to confirm. Uh, people's attitudes uh, that the White House and the leadership in Congress is trying to uh, give that he's uh, unpatriotic. Uh, I have no doubt at all that he's a patriotic American, as he said, and uh, to call him a traitor uh, reveals a real misunderstanding of our founding document. It does, and you know we've we've seen a lot of people now taunting him. Uh, Peter King this morning called for. Uh uh, for not just for him uh, to be arrested, but for the journalist Glenn Greenwald to be arrested, which I found was extraordinary. Ari Fleischer, the former uh, press secretary for George W. Bush, uh, has been uh, also taunting, calling for uh, the DOJ to throw the book at him, had actually tweeted, uh, Fleischer did, quote, real whistleblowers don't flee the country, to which I replied, real press secretaries don't lie their country into war. But what very good. Well, but what so uh, to you, this is now the only way really that whistleblowers can even uh, get their side of the story out. They'll be tarred and feathered uh, or thrown in the brig as as uh, as Bradley Manning was. Correct. You know, interestingly, uh, the question of who's a real whistleblower or who's a real press secretary uh, is a. (laughs) It's a pretty uh, problematic question, and the question of who decides that. The truth is that real press secretaries for the president do lie all the time. Right. And uh, and real whistleblowers apparently leave the country because there's no question in my mind that uh, he is a whistleblower in the best, complete sense, and he left the country, and he did it for good reason. Uh, in my case, I said there was a different country 40 years ago where I was able to speak for uh, so long. The things that were done against me, which included trying to, quote, incapacitate me totally at the orders of the White House, in other words, salt me or kill me, those were illegal then. And, in fact, they faced uh, President Nixon with impeachment proceedings and led to his resignation. Uh, that's very different. All the things that were done to me then, including CIA profile on me, a burglary of my former psychiatrist's office, uh, in order to get information to blackmail me with. All of those things were illegal, as one might think they ought to be. They're legal now since 9-11 with the Patriot Act, which on that very basis alone should be repealed. In other words, this is a case right now with Snowden that shows very dramatically uh, the dangers of that Patriot Act, uh, used as it is. So the uh, the fact is that all these things are legal, and even the one of uh, possibly eliminating him, we have a president who claims the right, uh, and makes no secret of the fact that he believes he has the right to kill anyone anywhere in the world, uh, here or elsewhere, including American citizens. Now that's an extraordinary claim. Uh, I presume he thinks it's legal, or he wouldn't be saying it, uh, so openly. It's no secret. Uh, but could that possibly be legal? Could it possibly be constitutional? That, that claims an executive right that no king of England has pretended to since John the First, uh, the Magna Carta, talked about uh, the need for due process in a way that is not fulfilled in what this administration has called due process, which is internal review. 
uh, you know, which is a mockery of the rule of law. Well, it is because it's all done in secret, and you know, they say, "Oh, there's due process." Sure, there's due process that nobody actually gets to oversee. I'm speaking with Daniel Ellsberg, the legendary Pentagon Papers whistleblower. Daniel, you wrote in the Guardian. Uh, over the weekend that, uh, quote, there has not been in American history a more important leak than Edward Snowden's release of NSA material, and that definitely includes the Pentagon Papers 40 years ago. Why is Snowden's leak uh, so much more important, as you see it, than the Pentagon Papers were 40 years ago? Well, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to compare these things. They're, they're different enough exactly. What I really said and, and stand by is it's certainly not less significant mm-hmm. than anything that we've seen, including the Pentagon Papers. But in its own way, it's far more than uh, simply a leak of material that was very highly classified, above top secret uh, communications intelligence. By the way, all three of these people that you mentioned, Manning, uh Snowden and I all had clearances that not only included top secret, but clearances higher than top secret. We all, including Manning and Snowden, had in, had access to information much higher than top secret, which we did not disclose. Snowden, Snowden has said that he uh, he's even alluded to the kinds of information that he has, such as the names of covert agents for the uh, all the places of CIA stations in the world. He said, which he had no intention ever of revealing because he felt that the public need for that did not outweigh the need for secrecy. But what he has revealed, and that's what I would, I would like people to focus on, to read what it is, whether they like him or dislike him or hate him, learn from what he's put out, read it, because what he has revealed, of course, is documentary evidence of a broadly blatantly unconstitutional program here which negates the Fourth Amendment and if it continues in this way, I think makes democracy essentially impossible or meaningless. You quoted Frank Church at the beginning as saying that if the pres- if the intelligence gathering capabilities of the government as they were 38 years ago when he was writing, right. turned on the American people, he said the capacity for total tyranny would be there. And he went further. He said he didn't think there was a possibility of real democracy because if a movement of opposition of any kind or dissent arose, the government would know enough about each individual and their workings together to deal with it uh, effectively one way or another, blackmail, persuasion, or whatever. He didn't think that free association would really be possible anymore, free speech would be possible. The question is, when he said that would be an abyss, that he, uh, uh, he, abyss. From which there would be no return. From which there would be no return. We haven't tested that last part yet. We're in the abyss. What he feared has come to pass. Let me make a quote that I haven't actually seen anywhere, but I heard it from Tom Drake himself, who was another whistleblower, a high official of NSA. Right. He was, who was, of course, tried and his case fell apart. His, he said that he was present at a meeting right after 9-11. Hayden, then head of NSA, which Hayden said, we are now going to target the United States as if it were a foreign country. Oh, We're going to target it, meaning, remember in a lot of these countries, yeah. IT&T installed the telephone comp- uh, system. That's true in Cuba, true in Chile. 
meant we know every aspect. We ran the system, basically. And in other countries, uh, we had every kind of access we could. But the access in those days was limited to what uh, Church mentioned, telephone, telegram. They didn't have faxes, emails, cell phones, computers, uh, online banking, uh, GPS. None of that existed then. All of that is now available uh, to the NSA and to its partners in the so-called intelligence community, the FBI and uh, the others, CIA. You, you wrote, in fact, the NSA, FBI, and CIA have, with the new digital technology, surveillance powers over our own citizens that the East German Stasi, the secret police in the former Democratic Republic of East Germany, could scarcely have dreamed of. Snowden reveals that the so-called intelligence community, community has become the United Stasi of America. Uh, is that fair, a comparison to the East uh, German... Uh, uh, that isn't to say that we are a police state at this moment. Uh-huh. Obviously not, because you and I are talking. I wouldn't, uh, in, in East Germany, we wouldn't be on the air, or we'd be in detention camps. Good certainly. point. Good so point. we're not there yet. But we have the infrastructure for a police state such as never, ever existed. I think with another 9-11, there would be mass detentions, and it wouldn't be only Middle Easterners or Iranians or uh, Arabs or Muslims and so forth. It would be people who support WikiLeaks, support Brad Friedman or Snowden, such as me and I presume you. Uh, and I, uh, they know that because, all right, we're saying it on public radio, but supposing we hadn't. There's a lot of people who don't have the access here uh, to the public, but they do talk to their friends and um, on the phone or by email, and they'll be picked up just as quickly as you or I. And there's one step beyond that. My knowledge of the Stasi is not very extensive, but it's largely from a movie uh, called The Lives of Others, which won the Oscar for a best foreign film some years ago. Everybody should get that now. It should be reissued now. Preferably, it has subtitles in German, but uh, I'd like to see it dubbed so it had a wider audience. And what that shows is what life can be with uh, a government that knew as much as the Stasi did then. But if they know, if and one thing they can do with that information right now is to turn people into informants so that the government has not only the information that people say on electronic devices, they have what they say in the bedroom because their wife or their whoever is uh, is um, an informant, as happened in the movie. Uh, that is what did happen in East Germany. And if we were to get that here, and there's the infrastructure for it right now, we will become a democratic republic in the same sense as the East German Democratic well, Republic. Well, Dan, uh, Dan, speaking with Dan Ellsberg, uh, Dan, we actually saw that some years ago. Uh, I believe it was during the Bush administration when we had folks uh, coming forward, whistleblowers coming forward and saying, yeah, they were able to go back and listen uh, to to phone sex conversations between uh, troops uh, who were out in Iraq. They were just able to pull them up like they were pulling them up, uh, pulling them up in iTunes. Uh, let, let me get, if I could... That's what Snowden said he could do yeah. for anybody in the country. And remember, he's a three-month employee at that moment of Booz Allen, a so-called private corporation. Uh, you know, the uh, one little thing I think that the public should learn from all this, 70% of the intelligence budget, which is in the $50 billion range, uh, near $60 billion, 70% of it goes to private contractors. 
And so it isn't just elected representatives who have access to this. It's a myriad of uh, private contractors, highly, highly paid uh, uh, people who can pass that stuff around. Which brings me up to uh, brings me to another point. And, and by the way, uh, G, do you have a clip number five? Uh, this was, uh, believe it or not, is a very short clip. It, it we got to see this last night on the Daily Show of all places. It was a conversation, I think, from the Tonight Show back in 2008. Uh, Shia LaBeouf, young actor, uh, had this to say uh, about a meeting he had with with a guy in the FBI. Pardon me, who was the person this you were talking about? This is uh, actor uh, Shia LaBeouf, an actor who was speaking oh, yeah, on, the, on the Tonight Show. Yeah, go ahead, uh, play that clip, G. We had an FBI consultant on the, on the picture. He told me that one in five phone calls that you make uh, are recorded and logged. And I laughed at him, and then he played back a phone conversation I'd had two years prior Come on. to joining the picture. The FBI consultant. And it was like one of those, it was one of those phone calls, was like, you know, what are you wearing type of things. The Man, that is just unbelievably uh, uh, creepy. And when I hear these people saying, oh, there's oversight on this, uh, you know, we, we trust uh, President Obama, unlike George W. Bush, none of that stuff is happening now. Nobody knows this. And even the senators, uh, you know, Wyden and Udall, Democratic senators, have been begging, have been pleading uh, for more transparency uh, in this matter now for years from the NSA, from Eric Holder. Uh, there is, uh, you know, has been a debate, uh, Dan, about uh, the, the discussion. You know, we need to have a national discussion about these things. However, uh, what Edward Snowden did is not the right way to uh, to make that happen. It seems to me that's the only way that these discussions ever happen. After the Pentagon Papers, Wyden and Udall are both on the Intelligence Committee. They did, in fact, have access to this stuff. Uh, like Diane Feinstein, who approves of it, right? Who's chairman, of, who's chairman of the committee. Now they did not, it would seem, approve of it. But let's look at how much that did for us, their knowledge of it, and what is uh, so-called oversight. When Ron Wyden, Senator Ron Wyden, asked the Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper, "Do you uh, collect telephone data on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans?" As you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know his answer. Yes. Clapper's answer was no. That was in March. Right. Now he's confronted with documentary evidence uh, that that was false. Uh, his answer is, well, it was a difficult question for me to answer, uh, yes or no. Although actually he did give a yes or no answer. Correct. He he said the uh, the least untruthful answer I could give was no. Well, one could argue with that. A less truth, a less untruthful answer would have been yes. In other words, the the short answer is no. Mm-hmm. The long answer is yes. Uh, we do collect that. But what's interesting is Wyden knew that. He knew that that uh, Clapper was lying. Mm-hmm. He just read the other day, but he didn't mention it because it was a secret. So he didn't tell us that what Clapper had just told the American people was false. He felt he couldn't do that. Now he's recently, uh, since then revealed that he had given Clapper advance warning that he was going to ask that exact question, knowing the the real answer to it. Give Clapper a chance to tell the truth. I don't know whether he expected it or not. And after Clapper had lied, he, after the session, he gave Clapper, he says, a question, do you want to revise that answer? Clapper said no. (laughs) So we didn't learn. In other words, uh, Wyden felt, and I I say I give him credit for asking the question, 
and for knowing. But what did that oversight do for us, the American people? It had no influence on what Clapper did or informed us of. And, of course, the same is true of all the other members of the committee. So, in short, the supposed oversight structure of these committees is totally broken, fraudulent. It is a failure as an attempt that Senator Church was uh, was looking for to reform the system, as was the FISA court, which also came out of the Church investigation of NSA. So you have a court, and the president points to say, well, we have the oversight by a court. Yes, a court that meets in secret, hears only the government side, and out of tens of thousands of requests for warrants, has modified about six. So, as Russell Tice has called it, it's a kangaroo court with a rubber stamp. In short, we have no checks and balances. We have one branch government, the executive. The legislative and the judicial part are entirely failing so far. But now with this evidence, and by the way, to have all those powers connected in one branch was in James Madison's uh, terms the very definition of tyranny. Dan, I got a bunch I got just a few more minutes with you and I've got a number of questions I want to try to uh try to fly through here. There has been um since these disclosures, there has been action uh, taken to some extent. The intelligence officers are now briefing hundreds of of folks in Congress, the folks in Congress who were supposedly uh fully aware of these programs beforehand. You've got companies like Google and Microsoft and Facebook begging uh the government to allow them to give more transparency about what is being done and what is not being done. There is a bipartisan group of eight U.S. senators filing a bill uh, to do away with the secret decisions of the FISA court, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. It seems to me that action is is actually, to some extent, already being taken. So when you hear these people saying there are other things that, uh, the, you know, we, we need to have this important discussion, but there are other ways to go about it, uh, it seems to me that's just a lie, that there is none no of, other way to go about it, right? None of what you're happening and what you've described seems all useful. None of it would be happening now or ever without Snowden's putting himself at risk and giving out these documents. Were there additional transparency laws, uh, uh, Dan, I wanted to ask, because I've been having a debate with a, a colleague of mine. Uh, were What were the additional laws, transparency laws and so forth, that were passed after the Pentagon Papers uh, to help shed light on oh, yes. what the DOD uh, was doing? I, I'd have to think of his name now, but the, uh, the man who was in charge of the subcommittee of the Government Operations Committee who was mainly associated with Freedom of Information Act, uh, name slips my mind at the moment, he called me up afterwards and said that without the Pentagon Papers, the amendments to that act, Freedom of Information Act, leading to its covering classified information, which was not true in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We would never have gotten that without your Pentagon Papers. He wants, it's the only time I talked to him. He said, I want to tell you that that was essential. So we did get the Freedom of Information Act. We did get the ruling, the ruling that there should be no uh, warrants, uh, no warrants issued. For, I'm sorry, no overhearing of American citizens by NSA or others without a warrant, and they created the secret FISA court to deal with these warrants in particular. That was a uh, that was legislation which may or may not have had some effect on NSA for some period, but clearly has failed since 9/11, and the intelligence committees. 
the, the supposed obligation to inform uh, the intelligence committees of every covert operation that was going on. Now, once again, on the one hand, we've had many examples where co- major covert operations were carried on without telling those committees in violation of the law. Senator Moynihan is a uh, once dropped out of the Senate Intelligence Committee, he was so angry that they had not been told of our illegal mining of the Port of Corinto in Nicaragua. He went back later. But as I say, they often are not told. When they are told, it's often vague, so vague. Uh, and if it's not vague, they tell two or three top members of the committee, which is against the law. The whole committee is supposed to be told. This happens, this is true of torture. And it's true of the warrantless wiretaps under Bush. They were not allowed to have their staff review it, who were lawyers or could really take time and analyze it. They were not allowed to take notes. And they were not allowed to tell their colleagues on the committee, which was illegal. Their silence in the face of that, because if they had refused those rules, they wouldn't have been told either. And so it was more important for them to feel that they were in the know and they had these prestigious jobs than to obey the law and involve their own colleagues on the Intelligence Committee. That's a system that's totally broken. And let me put this question straight to you, because it comes straight from that same colleague who has been uh, critical of both Edward Snowden and Glenn Greenwald for reporting on those leaks. Uh, He says uh, directly to me, and I said, well, let me ask Dan about this. What's that? Is this a journalist colleague? It is a journalist colleague, yeah. And uh, I... I, 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 He's yeah. critical of Glenn Greenwald for reporting this unconstitutional yes. behavior that came out. He, sh- he should have, uh, as a journalist, he, one journalist to another, he thinks you shouldn't have put that out. I think a lot of people here are being very strongly discredited, uh, either as jurists like uh, Tubin, uh in The New Yorker as a, as a legal person, mm-hmm. or uh, the president for that matter, or a Dianne Feinstein in their oversight, or Friedman, uh, others. Who are the criticisms they're making? I think are very discreditable to them in their profession. It has been, you know, I, I've I've taken to calling this uh, planet partisan at this point because things have turned so upside down since uh, since just the Bush administration when we saw uh, we we have now seen supporters of Barack Obama using almost word for word some of the same defenses of uh, of President Obama that we saw being used to defend George W. Bush back then, and this has been going back, you know, at least for a number of weeks since it was uh, revealed that uh, uh, James Rosen of Fox News was named as a co-conspirator. I'm hearing exactly the same defenses. It's amazing. But let me, let me ask you, Dan, let me ask you this question. Uh, he, he said, do you really believe the operations of the uh, DOD and the national security apparatus became more transparent as a consequence of Ellsberg? So let me put that to you. Do you believe they did become more transparent after the Pentagon Papers? Or will we see in this case, uh, the system becoming less transparent to avoid, uh, again, what happened here with Ed Snowden? Oh, well, that, that can be answered very easily. The, the fact is that there was an outpouring of information, but it was mostly historical information from the FOIA Act as amended to include classified information. So in some periods, and I'm quite critical of President Clinton, for example, in many ways, but in one respect, he was very good in terms of putting out formally classified information under FOIA, uh, enormously more than e- any of his successors, including Obama or his predecessors. So we did get a lot of information. If you look at the National Security Archive, 
of uh, Georgetown University, you'll find an enormous amount of information that simply would not have been available otherwise. But that doesn't mean that the government, um, you know, the, the, uh, that sort of effect lasts for a period, and then the government prevails. They want uh, us to know only what they choose to tell us about what they're doing. That's true of any, any organization, not just governments and not just this government, and that's not a partisan thing. They want us to know what is in their eye, what they want us to believe. And uh, the question is, do we have a chance to get behind that and to check it? Now, for example, the Watergate investigation, which came after the Pentagon Papers, did more than the Pentagon Papers did to reveal uh, the actual secret criminal workings of the government. So, yes, it did become transparent. There was a good deal of transparency from the Iran-gate uh, investigations, although that should have led to impeachment, and for various political reasons, it didn't. Uh, impeachment, I'm talking now about Reagan, Reagan yeah. and George and George H.W. Bush. It didn't lead to the impeachment, but we learned a lot more from those investigations. We learned a great deal from the church investigations in 1975, that came, of course, after the Pentagon Papers, and and drew on it very much. I've got, uh, I, yeah, I've got just a minute or two. We haven't had anything like that since. I, That's what we need again. We need a select committee uh, again right now, really to investigate this and to uh, and to let us know their findings. Dan, I've got just a minute or two, but uh, I want to get in uh, a couple more quick questions here. Uh, a response from you from uh, in, uh, to Josh Marshall of Talking Points Memo, who I think is a, a great journalist, but he is uh, he, he says that. He is uh, against what is arguably the best way to trigger one of those debates is leaks of this sort. He says Snowden is doing more than triggering a debate. I think it's clear he's trying to upend, damage, choose your verb, the U.S. intelligence apparatus and policies he opposes. He's not just opening the thing up for debate. He's taking it upon himself to make things no longer possible or much harder to do. To me, that's a betrayal, he says. So who gets to decide, he asks, uh, about these sorts of disclosures, the totality of the office holders who have been elected democratically, for better or worse, to make these decisions, or Edward Snowden, some young guy I've never heard of before who espouses a political philosophy I don't agree with and is now seeking refuge abroad for breaking the laws. Your now, response? Well, the, answer, the answer to me is very clear. Uh, Edward Snowden, uh, he's the guy who told us this stuff. Trust, I don't, should we trust the people who kept it secret all this time or who carried out these unconstitutional programs? What about the, the people who kept the warrantless wiretapping clear, uh, secret from 2001, 9-11 until 2005, four years later when the New York Times finally revealed it? There were thousands and thousands of people who did that, starting with the president. Are they the ones then we should trust? Should we trust the judgment of the people who lied us into Iraq as into Vietnam? I would say that the people who put their lives at stake, like Bradley Manning or uh, or uh, Edward Snowden right now, are people to listen to and learn from. And I'm afraid that I know Jonathan Marshall has a lot to be said for him as a blogger. I think what he said there is stupid and uh, mistaken and does not do him credit. It's what I was saying earlier. A lot of people are being snoped out now about their understanding of democracy, which is that of a... Uh, I don't know, a 15-year-old here or something who's absolutely new to the subject and hasn't followed the last 50 years of history.
Dan, I've got to unfortunately uh, take a break and let you go. Uh, I wanted to, and unless you can give me a real short answer here, one of the things uh, in talking to whistleblowers uh, that I've heard over and over is about the uh, not just the overclassification of just about everything these days, uh, but also the concern that you brought up about private uh, contractors now sort of uh, you know having taken over our national security surveillance state apparatus. I have a first hand experience i'll come back and talk about that after the break of these uh, terror tools that were developed for the uh, quote-unquote war on terror by private companies who then turn around and use them they use them against me against glenn greenwald uh arguably against the occupy movement uh what are your concerns there with the overclassification and the over privatization of our surveillance state and i know that's a huge question but you got to answer it in 30 seconds <laughs> okay. it will always be the case that uh, much is classified that need not be classified. But that's not the real problem. The real problem is how much is classified that needs not to be classified if we want to be a democracy. In other words, information that would allow us to hold our leaders accountable, that would make them blameworthy, and we can choose and influence the policy. That is classified. It will be always tenaciously uh, protected by the government. In short, we have a great deal of secrecy of uh, on, on exactly what the public needs to know, and what Snowden has revealed is exactly in that category. And if Jonathan Marshall, uh, Josh Marshall, does not perceive that distinction and prefers to slander Snowden as being against the U.S. or being against intelligence, in the face of the fact that he has openly said he has a raft of information here which he will not reveal. And the stuff he has shown shows the very best judgment and puts into question. If Jonathan Marshall can't make that distinction, uh, he's somebody I wouldn't listen to. Dan Ellsberg, always great to talk to you, sir. Thank you for uh, for speaking up for 40 years, for all you've done for this country. Uh, is greatly appreciated, and even more so, greatly appreciated your coming on the air on the broadcast to talk about it this afternoon. Thanks, Dan. Keep up the good work, my friend. Thanks for the opportunity. I, I follow your uh, blog, and I, I profit a lot by it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Don't talk about the weather. Shh. It's a military secret. Just keep your wits together. That's the safest way to keep it. These are critical times. Be careful of espionage. In such critical times, you've got to watch out for sabotage. Oh, yes, you do. We're going to take a quick break here. Come back with more broadcast. We're running late, but I want to uh, bring you up to date on that uh, point I mentioned there with uh, Dan Ellsberg about uh, being targeted myself at the same time as Glenn Greenwald by the privatized security state and uh, the question of what is this surveillance state actually doing? What's it targeting, terrorism or democracy? Much more uh, straight ahead, including Desi Doyd in the Green News. You're listening to Brad Friedman on the broadcast. If you can keep a secret, well, can I take you dancing? Play the tune again. Not watching your fingering, but forgetting. Letting flow the sound till it surrounds you. Do not count or even think. Let go. 
This is Uncle Ruthie Buell. On Saturday, June 15th at 8 a.m., Halfway Down the Stairs will present a live concert featuring talented young musicians from the prestigious Colburn School here in Los Angeles. Ranging in age from 6 to 16 and performing on a variety of instruments, these talented young artists will thrill you with their skill and dedication as you listen to their amazing music and learn about their lives and their dreams. That's Saturday, June 15th at 8 a.m. on Halfway Down the Stairs. Heard live right here on KPFK Los Angeles. Watching you. <laughs> Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. Running late as usual, so I'm going to make this quick and as usual refer you over to bradblog.com to get the whole, uh, to get the full story on this. But we've got a couple of pieces up now near the top of the blog. Uh, one from our legal analyst Ernie Canning, uh, discussing, uh, asking the question, what's the real target of our privatized surveillance state? Terrorism or democracy? He also throws in another question, or perhaps it's just pure profit, given the way the uh, uh, private industries have now, private corporations have now taken over our, uh, our, our, well, I use the word quote unquote public surveillance state, our government surveillance state. And I have firsthand experience about the dangers of that, as does my colleague Glenn Greenwald, who's been reporting on all of these leaks. Both Glenn and I were targeted about two years ago uh, in a scheme, a plot that was uh, put together by three defense contractors, three defense contractors who have made millions on this so-called war on terror, developing uh, what I call terror tools, uh, supposedly to, you know, to keep us safe in this war on terror, to be able to track terrorists around the countries, around the, uh, I'm sorry, around the world. These were developed for the war on terror by these private companies with taxpayer dollars, with public money, and they were subsequently turned against us, against private citizens, against Glenn Greenwald on behalf of the Bank of America, against me on behalf of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the largest right-wing uh, lobbying group, largest lobbying group, period, in the world. Those were going to be used in this plot uh, to to discredit me on behalf of the Chamber, to discredit Glenn on behalf of Bank of America, Thankfully, uh, this plot, this scheme was outed by Anonymous, who actually uh, hacked into one of these private defense contractors, a company by the name of H.B. Gary, uh, who was working with Palantir and Barrico, all big government contractors who, you know, get millions to develop these tools. And when people say, oh, you don't need to worry about it, 
because there's oversight, because Barack Obama wouldn't do any such thing. You know what? Forget about the oversight. I talked about it, as you heard just now with, in my conversation with Dan Ellsberg. The oversight doesn't work. It's not effective. And whether you uh, trust Barack Obama or not, or any other president, in truth, it doesn't matter, because these private companies now own this software, now own these tools, and now want to increase their profits, and they're willing to sell them out to the highest bidder or the lowest bidder, whoever it may be, whether it's the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, whether it's Bank of America, they want to use these tools that they developed for the war on terror against private U.S. citizens. This was done to me. This was done to Glenn Greenwald. These are not conspiracy theories. You can go to bradblog.com. You can see the presentation in which my picture is featured. And the names of my family were listed. And our addresses and our phone numbers and our birth dates. This is not a conspiracy theory. This has already been done. It has already been used against people like Glenn and myself. And yes, indeed, the Occupy movement. And I think that was uh, one of the points that uh, Ernie Canning was trying to make at Bradblog.com in his article when he asked, you know, are they targeting terrorism or are they targeting democracy? Because, in fact, we saw a democratic uprising with the Occupy movement. And uh, these same tools used in the war on terror were used to shut down that movement. Check out Bradblog.com for much more on that. Let's do some green news. It's not easy being green. No, it's not. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. Hey, Des. Hey. I know you're blending in over there with ordinary things, but (laughs) we're running late, and we got to get right to the Green News Report. Okay. I wanted to ask you what we uh, missed uh, here at KPFK while we were on Fun Drive, uh, the major points. But I don't think we have time, unless you got one uh, one or two big ones. Oh, any, just really quickly, missed? like, you know, that, that Colorado wildfire that's uh, destroyed, I think, 80 homes so far. Mm-hmm. One of the things that has uh, come out of the sequester, the budget cuts from the sequestration, is that they're having to cut back the firefighting budget. Uh, we had testimony um, in Congress. The head of the U.S. Forest Service said that he's had to cut about 500 firefighters and uh, several engines. And that's a problem. Also, sequestration cuts are making uh, hits on the budget of NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and their weather forecasting capabilities. Uh, we have a couple of satellites that are about to be needing to be replaced, and they're having to lay off weather forecasters. Well, let's replace the satellites. What's the holdup? <laughs> the holdup is money oh. because the sequestration has uh, decimated the budget. Oh, well, we got plenty of money apparently for uh, spying on everybody in America, but a uh, weather satellite that might change, uh, save people's lives. Tornadoes, Midwest storms sitting across the Midwest right now. Yeah, those, yeah, don't worry about it. Those don't happen very often. All right, let's get to, let's get to uh, our latest green news report. Hit it, G. We are still perfectly on track for a temperature increase up to 5.3 degrees Celsius. A record jump in global carbon emissions. The U.S. and China announce major climate agreement. Another court victory for Monsanto. Plus, 
As California Solar breaks new records. They were playing with the health and public safety of 8.4 million people. One of the state's old nuclear plants closes forever. I like this report already. All of that and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. Monsanto is the real victim here. They could face criminal prosecution and be fined up to a million dollars. Do you know how long it takes Monsanto to earn a million? Oh, they just did. <laughs> yep, and they just did it again. This is your Green News Report. And again. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know you've got a lot of pretty big news to get to today. So I'm shutting up and letting you have at it. What do you have for us? <laughs> well, first, global carbon dioxide emissions jumped 1.4% in 2012. That's the fastest increase on record, according to a new report from the UN's International Energy Agency. While it may not seem like much, the IEA says that if that rate of emissions continues and no action is taken, by the year 2100, that CO2 buildup in the atmosphere means global temperatures could exceed the international target of limiting the rise to just 2 degrees Celsius. Celsius relative to pre-industrial times. That's according to Fatih Birol, the IEA's chief economist. We are still perfectly on track for a temperature increase up to 5.3 degrees Celsius. And this is a trend that we don't want to see. No, we don't. 5.3 degrees Celsius? Yes, that is 9 degrees Fahrenheit. That's double the U.N. treaty target of 2 degrees Celsius. Now, what does that feel like? Well, in 40 years, New York City is predicted to be as hot as Birmingham, Alabama was in the 20th century. But the IEA does recommend four key actions governments can take right now with current technology that could help stave this off, which is energy efficiency, phasing out use of inefficient coal power plants, reducing methane leaks from oil and gas drilling, and phasing out government subsidies of fossil fuels. But there's some encouraging news. At an informal summit over the weekend in Southern California, President Obama and Chinese President Xi Jinping announced a major climate agreement to cooperate to phase out use of hydrofluorocarbons, or HFCs. Those are used in refrigeration and air conditioning. HFCs are now known to be a potent greenhouse gas, but HFCs last a relatively short time in the atmosphere, only about 10 to 15 years, meaning cutting HFCs could deliver some immediate short-term results. They would be phased out under the wildly successful Montreal Protocol, which saved the ozone layer. It's a very old plant. It is risky anyway. In a setback for the U.S. nuclear power industry, private utility company Edison International says it will permanently close two reactors at the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station power plant near San Diego. That's huge news. Yes, that is. The two reactors have been closed for a year and a half after a small radioactive steam leak revealed dangerous cracks in the facility's new steam generator system. The executives say that it will eliminate 1,100 jobs. It will take decades to permanently decommission and about $3 billion. But meanwhile, some extra good news. California's electric grid operator says solar power generation in the state reached a record high on Friday afternoon, generating almost the equivalent of the maximum power output of San Onofre. That is good news. Two pieces of good news, and not just because that San Onofre plant is the closest one to us here at the Green News Report. So I'm delighted to hear that shut down. I'm delighted to hear solar is going very well in California. In fact, it was the best first quarter for the American solar industry 
ever. Yeah, but it's just a boutique energy. That's what they told me on Fox News. So what else you got? Well, Germany generated 40% of their peak power demand using solar last week. Yeah, but Fox News told me Germany gets a lot more sunshine than the U.S. The United States simply hasn't figured out how to do solar. You look at the country of Germany... It's working out great for them. What was Germany doing correct? Are they just a smaller country and made it more They're possible? a smaller country, and they've got lots of sun, right. right? They've got a lot more sun than we do. Yeah, they're crazy. And wrong. Finally, another court victory for Monsanto. An appellate court has thrown out a lawsuit from organic growers that would stop biotech giant Monsanto from suing them if traces of Monsanto's patented genes are found in their certified organic crops. The appellate court instead relied on Monsanto's website that says Monsanto will never sue them as long as the mix of GMO genes found in their crops is only a trace amount. I see. Any news on where that Monsanto GMO wheat that showed up in Oregon came from? Nope. They still don't know. They still don't know. But other than that, let's just trust Monsanto. For all of those stories and more, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download us anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn Radio app. Find us and like us on the Facebook and follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your nuclear-free Green News Report. Good day, sunshine. Good day, sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Good day. Good day, sunshine. See? Yeah, it makes you forget the whole five degrees Celsius thing that we're heading toward, the cliff that we're about to head Oh, off. now see, why did you have to bring that up? I was going to say that the Green News Report always cheers us up because it's so bright and sunny and there's always uh, happy things to say. Well, to there will be more happy things to say tomorrow. Really? As soon as I find something. Yeah, you won't find anything. <laughs> oh, there are yeah. some good things happening. I'm sure. Doom and destruction lie ahead well, and tomorrow's Green News Report. It's important people guessing. are informed. Uh, but great news, actually, about, uh, about the San Onofre. Finally yes. uh, shutting down. That's good. Uh, is is that the first? Uh, actually, how many uh, nuclear plants like that have we shut down in this uh, country? I think most in, of them have years? been mothballed. The ones that have been uh, closed have been mothballed. I don't think there have been any. Uh, I can't recall right now off the top of my head any that have been completely decommissioned because that's a process that takes a long time and a lot of money. All right. Well, that's one. Now we got about how many one others? Down. How many other uh, nuke plants? Oh, 104 reactors in the United States. All right. Well, that's one. 103 left to go. Uh, my thanks, as always, to Desi Doy and our producer here, to Marco Piaz, our super duper associate producer. My thanks to G, our soundboard operator. Of course, to Dan Ellsberg. You can uh, tweet him at Daniel Ellsberg. You can find him at Ellsberg.net. You can tweet me at Brad blog at the Brad blog. That's who I am. Stay tuned for John Wiener in the 4 o'clock report. He'll have uh, details on the ACLU suit against the Obama administration over their NSA surveillance program. We'll be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel, next week. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. You can find me at bradblog.com. Good night, America.